ब्रह्मानंदम परम सुखादम केवलम ज्ञानमूर्ति दंडवातीतम गगन सदृशम तत्वमाश्या निलक्षम एकम नित्यम विमलवाचालम सर्वदेशक्षिभूतम भवातीतम त्रिगुणरहितम Sadgurum Dwam Namami. I bow to my Guru. I bow to him as the representative of God. I bow to you as expressions of God. We were in a very interesting, I hope, to me, fascinating and also controversial subject yesterday on the subject of the Yugas. Because I know that the tradition in India, and just about everybody in this country believes it. If they believe in the yugas at all, they say we're in Kali Yuga. But my guru's guru was a great master and also a great astrologer and astronomer. And he discovered, studying the ancient almanacs, that in fact we have left Kali Yuga. And the interesting thing is, see, he wrote back in 1894, well, the things that he talked about, scientists didn't even know them, but they have been corroborated since then. There are two little things that have not yet been corroborated, but science is again and again, every 10 years it seems like you're re- having to reinvent so much of what they know. Almost everything that science has found has already corroborated what he was saying before they knew it. So that gives one a certain faith. Another thing that gives one faith is that History does seem to justify what he said and does not justify a gradual descent into greater and greater darkness. So let me continue because this was a long, the longest saying in this book, but so interesting that I hope you will agree with me and allow me to read it to you. Taking up from yesterday, It seems premature to be too dogmatic about anything science claims, since it has had too often to revise even some of its basic tenets. There seems little point, therefore, in insisting strongly that these two differences must be resolved, that is to say, the precession of the equinoxes and the possible existence of a duel to our sun, that they be resolved. Um before Swami Sri Yukteswar's theory can be given a respectful hearing, especially since some of his more startling claims, even more startling claims, have been completely justified after the fact by modern science. For what he wrote in 1894 was at variance with numerous other beliefs of the scientific orthodoxy of his day, yet on these points he has since been thoroughly justified. 1. Sri Yukteswar wrote in 1894, mind you, that matter is really energy. This fact was discovered by science only 11 years later in 1905. 2. Sri Yukteswar described a distant center for the visible stars. The astronomers of his time still believed the universe to be heliocentric, that means centered in our sun. They continued to hold this belief until the 1920s. 3. Sri Yukteswar correctly stated that the sun moves. 
The scientists of his idea had no such of his day had no such idea, supposing it to be standing stationary at the center of everything. Four, Sriukteshwar also described the sun's movement as a sweeping arc, its present direction being toward the center of our star system, the Milky Way. Astronomers have since discovered, first of all, that the sun does move, and second, that its direction of movement is substantially, as Sriukteshwar claimed, not a beeline because it's going in an ellipse, but toward the constellation Hercules, which is could be described as on that general route. Sriukteshwar's claim, of course, that human consciousness is affected by rays of energy proceeding from the center of our galaxy seems to modern-day thinking impossible of rational demonstration. Yet astronomers have in fact discovered that there is a powerful energy issuing from the center of our galaxy, which affects planets even as distant from it as our own. Subtle influences of an energetic and magnetic nature are being constantly discovered in science, a fact which suggests that all natural phenomena are in some way interconnected. This interrelationship was undreamed of even as recently as 80 years ago. The facts most clearly known to us today concern the events of relatively recent Earth history. They point to a steadily increasing enlightenment in every sphere of activity. Even the increasing licentiousness that is so evident today which might point to a general moral and spiritual decline, seems even more explicable as being due to man's inner struggle to come to grips with so many new perceptions of reality. In one of my books, Out of the Labyrinth, I have explained that the moral dilemma introduced by Einsteinian relativity, far from proving, as some writers have claimed, that moral values are subjective, is being resolved in a growing perception that relativity is not chaotic, but directional. The truths that are being perceived nowadays have been leading mankind toward ever subtler insights that seem increasingly to have universal validity. This rapid advancement of knowledge during recent century, and especially today's increasingly widespread reliance on energy, suggest forcibly that what Sri Yukteswar wrote, and bear in mind that he was a great master with spiritual insight and no merely intellectual theorist, should be considered no mere theory, but revelation. Yogananda sometimes remarked quite casually that in future mankind would see innumerable changes in its way of thinking, living, and behaving a change toward international and interreligious unity, interplanetary travel, and countless new ways of dealing with reality. That's as far as I think I should read today. It's the end of that particular saying. But uh, it's a very fascinating concept, isn't it? Because what we see today is really a colossal conflict between Kali Yuga ways of thinking and Dwapara Yuga ways of thinking. There's the old fixed system of dogmas and the thought that if you don't agree, you're heretical. One religion has to be right, therefore all others have to be wrong. 
again and again you see this Kali Yuga way that sort of tries to institutionalize truth, institutionalize everything. And then there is this freer consciousness that, that's coming out in so many different forms, and we're right on the cusp, you know. Well, to me, music is a very interesting example because it sort of expresses the consciousness of the people of the age. Several points to keep in mind. For example, in classical music today, I'm talking of the West. I, I know that Indian classical music comes down from very ancient times and hasn't had to go through the same kind of uh, period of adjustment that we have in the West. But you will find that in classical music and in Western symphonies and so on, you don't find any melody. An interesting feature of Indian music is that it's melodic primarily. Another thing is rhythm. <coughs> Indian music has a lot of rhythm. Life is rhythm. Our heartbeat is rhythm. Our breathing is rhythm. Rhythm is fundamental to life. But in the classical music in today's, uh, well, that today means for over a century, there's been such confusion even in rhythm. I'll never forget a symphony I heard. I'm trying to remember who wrote it. May have been Elgar, I'm not sure. No melody, no rhythm, and no harmony. What else have you got in music? Indian music doesn't have harmony in the songs that I have written, which you hear at the end of these programs. I bring in harmony, and I, I believe that harmony is basic to our nature, to the way we think of things. We like things to be harmonious. We like things to work together. But it is intriguing, this difference, because the Indian music is basically only melodic and rhythmic. And it's sort of the song of the individual soul in aspiration to God. Melody expresses aspiration. And if there's no aspiration, there's no melody. And the interesting thing is that in the classical melodies of the 20th century particularly, there's no melody. They almost scoff at the idea of melodies as if it was sentimental. That's because they have no ideals. They have no, no uh, aspiration. I went to a symphony concert at uh, Santa Cecilia in Rome a couple of years ago. And the composer must have, I think he could have brought the pots and pans from his kitchen. That's what the music sounded like, bang, 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 and just a lot of confusion. And at that time, I'd forgotten to turn off my cell phone, and my secretary called me on the cell phone, and it was a bit of an intrusion, but nobody noticed. It was just one more noise. Well, this kind of, of a, um, music is only the sign of a transition period. People don't yet know. They've got their old forms. They no longer work. They know they've got to come to something new. They're experimenting, but uh, it's really chaos right now. I have tried in my music, and I hope with some degree of success, to bring music back to soul music, to express who and what we really want in our hearts. And you know, it's interesting, but I haven't written a single note that didn't come from my own deep feeling. But you know another thing that's interesting, popular music, because popular music doesn't aspire to be very profound 
or intellectual. It just expresses the usual, ordinary. Well, I, I remember the a friend of mine. He used to be the mayor of Bangalore, in Keshava. He said, when I was in America, I heard all the music always just "I love you, you love me." Well, yeah, there's too much of that kind of thing. The music of India, with its aspiration, not Bollywood, but the real bhajans, the real songs of aspiration. Jao, jao, mere sadhu, raho guru ke sanga. So beautiful those songs are. Rabindranath Sanghi, oh, how I love to sing them. But anyway, this popular music, because it's something everybody has felt, so you find still beautiful melodies in that popular music, because the aspiration is there. It may not be the highest aspiration, but there is some. And so you find some beautiful melodies, like that one, Night and day you are the one, only you beneath the moon and under the sun. Ah, when I hear that, I think of God, and it inspires me. But music should have melody. Melody should have aspiration. This is what India has not lost, but... Gosh, when I go to some of these malls here in Gurgaon, where I live, it's just terrible. Um, How does that one go? Oh, I thank God I don't remember it. (laughs) Because the melodies are just uh, pointless. You see that. We're in a transition stage, and we see it in war. We see it in peace. We see it in governments. We see it in everything. People don't know where they're going and so it's easy to think we're falling into Kali Yuga, but the thing is that if we're falling that fast into Kali Yuga, my God, after 430,000 years, we're going to be animals. But the truth is it's a transition period where man is trying to find his way again. And bit by bit, and I hope that my music helps to give that direction, because I'm trying through my music to show that melody can give aspiration that there can be meaning in these words. They don't have to be pointless. That uh, when I sing, life is a dream, it's a truth. Time like a stream carries our burdens away. There's truth. I haven't written a single word that didn't have the full sincerity of my own heart. But I tried to make it poetic so that people would feel. And then I discovered, and this was very interesting, because. I hadn't learned harmony, really, but I found that harmony has a law. The Western music with its harmony is more like either the different aspects of society learning to work together. The West is more social than India. Indian Indian consciousness is more individual, more, you might say, eccentric, and it's delightful. But also that's delightful. There's goodness and truth everywhere. We have to look for it and draw it out. So I think although you're not used to harmonies, I do hope that you can feel these harmonies because they help to uplift. They aren't the kind of harmony that degrades. This kind of harmony which helps to make you more harmonious, to put you in tune. You know, music I discovered in writing, it's a language. And we don't have to go back to the things that were discovered thousands of years ago. They worked then, they may work now. But... Don't be contemptuous of new things. I think that the music of the soul 
can express itself as every flower, how many flowers there are, each one different. You don't have to say, well, flowers have to be roses. Let your mind be free to accept new forms. This is what Dwapara Yoga is bringing to us. This consciousness that is coming into the world now is more fluid, it's more adaptable, it's more saying that, uh, that uh, whatever is, let me go with it. It's making, it's reducing the dogmas and rigidness and sort of hewn and granite kind of consciousness that is of Kali Yuga. It's coming out into the flowing stream so that mankind begins to understand that truth is fluid. This is what I've seen in the great saints that I have met, their fluidity of consciousness. They're able to adapt to everything that happens. When my guru came to the West, he didn't say, I'm a Hindu. He said, I'm a human being. I'm a child of God. And he accepted the new expressions of God in America and wherever he went. It was all God. I remember a delightful story he told when he went to Radio City Music Hall, one of the very opulent places in New York. And he enjoyed it thoroughly. He said, well, I paid my ticket. This way I own the building. And he enjoyed his building for a while. Then when he'd had enough of it, he gave it back graciously to the management and walked out a free man. He, this is how his approach was to the Western culture. He enjoyed it, and he let it go. This is Dwapara Yuga too. It's fluid. Learn to flow with life. Don't say it's got to be this and nothing else. We have to learn in Sanatana Dharma that Sanatana Dharma is a living, breathing religion. And it can adapt to all realities. And it is already everything and everywhere. It is Sanatana. It is eternal. And so seek that truth within yourself. Joy to you. is a dream, time like a stream, carries our burdens away, never despair, joys everywhere, love can befriend you today, free from all care like birds on the Soar above griefs and worries, seek joy and be gay. Often on earth, things of great worth, worldly ambitions defy. Sometimes a friend helps us ascend. Up from life's cares to the sky. Love is a star, though shining afar. It can guide us and help us toward light to draw nigh. Life is a dream, time like a stream carries our Everywhere, love can befriend you today.
from all care like birds on the air soar above griefs and worries seek joy and be Ascend up from life's cares to the sky. Love is a star, though shining afar. It can guide us and help us toward light to draw nigh. Love is a star, though shining afar. Draw.